God's Word, look at me in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8 in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I want to share a message with you this morning that I have simply titled, The Worship Experience, from Isaiah's experience of worship in chapter 6. Six of that book that bears his name. We've already uh, engaged God in worship, and I feel like the pump has been primed for the content of the sermon today as we will uh, see the angels declare a message that we have already declared to the Lord today regarding his holiness. And in fact, we've spent the first couple of weeks of this year together working through this series of worship. It's one of the core values of our church. It's part of our DNA here at First Baptist Church Milton, and and we're taking some time this year to really focus on that aspect of worship. It's not that we don't worship other years or at other times in the year, but we're really focusing in on our commitment and our responsibility and the privilege we have to worship God. As an individual who has a relationship with Jesus, God's presence is within me individually 24-7, 365 days a year through that ministry of the Holy Spirit. Also, when we come together here for worship every week, God desires to manifest His presence among us collectively as one body of worshipers. So the question becomes, How do we gauge our experience in worship? A statement that we will oftentimes hear, or a statement, in fact, that many of us will oftentimes make, is that we will say something along the lines of, that was a good worship service today, or I really enjoyed the worship today. What made that worship good? What made it enjoyable? What is it about this experience that we're having at this moment that determines if the hour we spend together today is profitable. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that we all want to leave this place feeling better about ourselves. We want to leave feeling better about our lives. We want to leave this place feeling hopeful for our future. And certainly, the worship of God will call forth hope. But there are also times when our worship of God, both individually and collectively, will call forth sorrow over our sin, that it may call forth guilt over how we've fallen short of God's standard, and that it will call forth repentance from our lives. Look, not every aspect of worship is a Chris Tomlin song at the top of Caleb's hit list, okay? Not every experience of worship is going to have that moment. In fact, I want to give an example before we look at our main example of Isaiah. The book of Psalms that you have in your Bible, that is a book that was written as a hymn book 
for the people of God in the Old Testament to use as they worship God, both individually and collectively. And in that psalm, the, the book of Psalms, it gives us a great example of the different experiences or the different postures we have when it comes to our worship. For example, there are examples in this song, in the book of Psalms, that reveal to us that we should expect to experience joy and celebration as we worship. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise, a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It tells us to serve the Lord with gladness, with a smile on our face with joy, and the Psalms call us to that worship. There are also Psalms that reveal to us that as we worship, we should realize our need to cry out in confession to God due to the conviction of sin that's revealed to us as we worship. This is what David did in Psalm 51. As he worshiped, he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin in worship he said and my sin is ever before me there are even times if not most of the time when elements such as celebration or rejoicing and confession or conviction occur during the same experience See, we hear a lot today about revival and what's going on in Asbury, and I, uh, I'm not going to critique that one way or the other. I don't think it's my job to do that, and I don't think it's your job to do it either. I don't think it's Twitter's job, but that's another sermon for another time, all right? But when you look back at the movements of God throughout history, those movements, I won't say 100% of the time because, to be honest, I didn't research it this morning that extensively. But I will say from what I can remember from seminary that the great movements of God that have swept the nation and the world, most of them did not begin with celebration. They began with brokenness over sin. That they didn't start with kumbaya around the bonfire. They started with the fire of God's judgment against sin. There are even times when our celebration is coupled with our confession. When we worship, there are times when our hands are lifted high in adoration and celebratory praise, and there are times when our heads and our hearts are bowed low in humility as the reality of our sinfulness and need for God's forgiveness washes over us. And Isaiah is a great example He has an encounter with God, a worship experience that teaches us much about how we should experience worship. Let's look at our text, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook 
at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's buckle up and let's look through what Isaiah is teaching us because there's a lot to unpack here and I'm, I'm excited just to think about unpacking it, about what Isaiah teaches us about the worship experience, some things that should happen in our experience of worship. You ready? Doesn't matter, we're going to do it anyway. Number one, first, Isaiah experienced comfort when he worshiped. He experienced comfort when he worshiped. He says in verse 1 that he saw the Lord high lifted up, and it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah's worship experience occurred in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had been their king for some 50 years. He had started off quite godly, but toward the end of his life, he became proud and arrogant. He went into the temple, did something he wasn't supposed to do, and came out with leprosy. He later repented, but but the conditions, the consequence of his sin still remain. But that's not the focus. The focus is this was a good king who had done good things for them. He had brought peace and prosperity to them. King Uzziah was a good king who gave the people over 50 years of peace and prosperity. And now he has died. His death is a source of of distress. His death is a source of discomfort. His death is a source of fear. His death is a source of uncertainty. Oh, but don't miss this. Isaiah sees the throne of Judah. He sees the throne that King Uzziah had sat upon. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah sees the throne of Judah empty, but Isaiah has a vision of a throne above Judah in heaven, and that throne was occupied. And ladies and gentlemen, today that throne is still occupied. God is still on that throne. And that brings us comfort as we worship him. You see, our world is out of control. Our world is crazy. Our world is sinful. And it's not going to get better. It's that sinfulness, that craziness is only going to increase. We need to see Jesus on his throne. We need to see his rule and his reign as the one constant we have in this crazy world. So that regardless of who is in the White House, 
house, past, present, or future, God is still on his throne. So that regardless of what the stock markets do, whether it makes you smile or whether it makes you frown, God is still on the throne. That regardless of what a doctor says to you, God is still on his throne. That regardless of what life throws your way, God is still on his throne. And when we worship, we gain a renewed vision and a sense for how great he is. We become convinced as we worship that our God is greater, that our God is stronger, that God, you are higher than any other. (laughs) And that experience in our worship brings us comfort. That'd be wonderful if Isaiah's vision just had that moment where he saw the Lord on the throne above Uzziah's. But his worship continues. Second, Isaiah experienced conviction. Verse 2 of our text tells us that above him, above the Lord, high lifted up, stood the seraphim, and each had six wings, and with two the seraphim covered his face, with two he covered his feet, his face because he couldn't look at God's holiness, his feet because he was standing on holy ground, and with two he flew. And one seraphim called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me. For I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, don't miss this, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As Isaiah experienced the presence of God in worship, the things that he saw revealed to him the holiness of God, which then caused him to realize his own unholiness, which planted conviction in his heart. Those angels saying, holy, holy, holy. Now, that's an interesting phrase. There are only two places in Scripture where holy, holy, holy is found in that triplicate form. One is here in Isaiah chapter 6. The other we sang about this morning was from Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, where there are four living creatures around the throne. They, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Both instances of holy, holy, holy are in the context of worship. What that teaches us is this. If we fail to see and acknowledge the holiness of God as we are gathered together, we have failed to engage in the worship of God. I'll repeat that. It's worth you remembering that if we fail to see the holiness of God, we will fail to engage in the worship of God. And Isaiah reveals to us his conviction in the words he speaks in verse 5. He says, I am lost. I am undone. Why? The reason for his conviction he 
he said, for my eyes have seen the king. As we behold our great God, as we behold our great king, we will receive comfort from him. But as we enter his presence, as we gather for worship, we will also see his holiness. And we must ask the Lord of hosts to allow us to experience conviction. Because I kind of tell you the end of the story before I tell you the rest of it, the middle of it. Unless you have conviction, you can't have the cleansing. So Isaiah, in his experience of worship, he experienced conviction. Number three, Isaiah experienced confession when he worshiped. He experienced confession when he worshiped. He said in verse five, woe is me. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you came into the presence of God and you said, woe is me. Lord, woe is me. Lord, how great you are. How low I am. Oh, we just want to feel good. We want someone to tell us that we can do whatever we want with our lives so long as we're happy. In fact, the largest church in America today, right now at this moment, is filled with thousands of worshipers. And one of the reasons that thousands of people flock to this particular place that I won't call, but that you can probably figure out, is that nothing is ever said about the holiness of God or the condition and conviction of the sinful heart of man. Hey, look, yes we can is a great political slogan. It stinks at being a spiritual slogan. There ain't nothing I can do without God. We are completely dependent upon him, and that should lead us to a confession. Woe is me. Isaiah's specific confession was his tongue. Anyone here got a problem with their tongue? Any of you sitting by somebody got a problem with their tongue? There we go. It's amazing that the tongue, we've got two gates for our tongue. We've got two gates, two, two fences, the, the lips and the teeth, and the tongue still gets out. And Isaiah's specific confession was with his tongue, and his response to the conviction of his sin was the confession of that sin all because he had an experience with God. He worshiped. You see, when you see God's holiness, you will see your sin. You cannot see Jesus and not be convicted. You can't have an encounter with Jesus and not be convicted of the sin in your life. It's what you do after you're confronted with your sin. It's what you do after you're convicted of your sin that impacts what next happens in your worship experience. You see, some people, when confronted with their sin and when convicted by their sin, some people choose to fall 
fall under a blanket of shame. Some people try to justify their actions. Some people may try to ignore it. Any of those responses leave sin right where it is. However, there are some people when confronted with their sin and convicted by their sin, they cry out for the mercy of God. When was the last time that your experience of worship consisted of confession? Not just the raising of hands and celebration, but the bowing of the heart before God in confession. Fourth, there are only ten, so hang with me. I'm playing there five. Fourth, Isaiah experienced cleansing when he worshiped. Verse 6 says, while the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that had taken with the tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The cleansing that Isaiah experienced occurred where his conviction was felt. Did you catch that? His cleansing occurred where his conviction was felt. He was convicted with his lips, his words, and his cleansing, that purifying cleansing of God touched his lips, the source of his conviction. And after his confession was offered, you see, I want you to be sure you take this information home with you. You can't have a cleansing without confession, and you won't offer confession if you don't welcome conviction. Okay, I'll repeat that. Okay, it should, it, should, it should pop up on your screen. You can't have a cleansing without confession, and you will not offer a confession to God if you don't welcome and invite conviction. Oh, friend, don't miss, as old preachers say, this dog a hunt, or if it's don't light your fire, you woods with. That's what they say about what Isaiah says here. Don't miss the magnitude of the cleansing Isaiah experienced. He said that his guilt is taken away. Do you see that? His guilt is taken away. That phrase is an Old Testament phrase. It goes back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. I'm still in Deuteronomy. I'm still in the law. So I'm still reading all about the sacrificial system. Okay? It goes back to this time in the sacrificial system when it would be time to sacrifice and they would have a couple of, of, of lambs they would sacrifice and, and one was called a scapegoat. And the priest would symbolically place the sins on the head of that scapegoat. And they would shoo that goat. They would shoo that animal to leave the land. Symbolic of carrying the sins with them. Of the cleansing of the sins with them. And when Isaiah says that, that the Lord told him, your guilt is taken away. That's the imagery behind it. That his guilt was running away from him. He had been cleansed. Now I've got some bad news for you this morning. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. And if you don't think you are, you just sin from your arrogance and self-deception. You are a sinner. Every single one of us has a PhD in SIN. We are all guilty of sin. That is the bad news. Here's the good news. Every single one of us can have cleansing from that sin. This is why John wrote 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My sin is great, but praise be to God, his grace is greater. Amen. And Isaiah experienced a cleansing when he worshiped. Don't miss how this is all fitting together. Because some of you need to be cleansed. There's some stuff in your life that's been going on for too long. If you confess after being convicted, you watch the Lord come to the point of your need and sin cleansing. In experiencing worship, the conviction of sin causes us to weep in God's presence. The conviction and confession of sin causes us to humble ourselves in God's presence. The cleansing from sin causes us to rise up with arms extended to God in celebratory praise for the victory that he's given to us. The worship experience involves the cleansing of sin. Here's the last thing I'll say about Isaiah's experience of worship. Is he experienced a commissioning when he worshiped. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah's experience with the Lord demanded that action be taken because of that experience. In fact, if you will look at every instance of worship recorded in Scripture, you will learn this truth. Worship always, without fail, 100% of the time, worship demands a response. The Psalms are filled with phrases such as, Declare his mighty acts. Declare his glorious deeds. Tell of the work of his hands. Psalm 66 and verse 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. That is the heart of a worshiper. Come and listen to what Jesus has done for my soul. There was a man that Jesus experienced in the New Testament. He was a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. You remember that story? Jesus found this man, and this man found Jesus, and Jesus cast out those demons. He cast out the demons, and he put them into a herd of pigs. It's the first time we have deviled ham. I've been waiting all week for that. <laughs> And they go off into the river. For some of you, that's going, that's going to hit some of you that aren't laughing about 2 o'clock this afternoon. You're going to go, that is the funniest pastor I've heard today. And that man with the demon, listen to what happened in John chapter 8. Jesus sent that man. That man was like, man, I'm ready to be a disciple. You cast all these, I'm ready to, to be right up by you. I'm going to go wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Jesus said, return to your home. Go back home and declare how much God has done for you. And that man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much God had done for him. Oh, listen. God doesn't want us 
just to gather every Sunday in our holy huddles and sing songs and endure a few minutes of preaching and then go home. He wants us to have a worship experience where his presence so fills our lives that when we leave this place, we can't help but spend some time this week telling other people what God has done for us. And if you don't have anything to tell somebody about what God has done for you, maybe we need to introduce God to you so you'll have something to say. Isaiah experienced a commissioning of God. We are commissioned by God to declare the goodness of God. And when we worship, his goodness overwhelms us so much. It has nowhere to go but upward in worship and outward to others. Isaiah's worship experience might teach us some truths, but Isaiah's worship experience is just that. It's Isaiah's worship experience. We can learn from his experience But Isaiah's worship experience is not yours. You have a worship experience. See, worship at its core is our response to the presence of God in our lives. What that response looks like will vary, but worship demands that a response be made. So let me ask you this morning, what your response will be. Do you need to raise your hands and surrender to God? Giving him control of an area of your life that you're still trying to hold on to. Do you need to bow your heart and your head before a holy God and confess a sin that's got hold of you? Do you need to make a commitment to declare the goodness of God? to someone that God's placed upon your heart. I oftentimes around here talk about putting our yes on the table. And that will always be the only thing I ever ask of you. Is that whatever table God's put before you, what's on that table is up to God. Your job's not to put something on the table other than your yes. So whatever God is calling you to do today, my only request is that you just say yes. Is that you just say yes to whatever God is calling you to do today. Would you bow with me this morning? As we bow together and as we pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. And as we sing, this altar is open for you. If you need to come pray, you can come pray. If you want to pray in your pew, you pray in your pew. But you need to respond, and you will respond. You can't not respond. To say you won't respond is a response of saying no to God. What's God put on your table today when it comes to worship? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to grab hold of? If you need to talk to someone, you need to pray with someone, you've got questions about what it means to have Jesus as Lord and Savior, you want to take the next step, whatever it is that God's placed upon your heart today, 
Would you simply step out in faith and do what he's calling you to do? Father, I'm thankful that as we worship, you not only bring us comfort that we need, but you also go about a process of helping us see our sin, of of commission, of omission. You, You help us understand the conviction over that sin that gives us the opportunity to confess that sin and then to receive cleansing from that sin. And then you give us the charge to declare your goodness to others. So I pray today for those in this room who need comfort from you today. I pray that they would see you in heaven high and lifted up, seated upon a heavenly throne that reminds us you're in control. I pray for those of us today in this room who are struggling with sin, that this conviction your Holy Spirit is bringing us right now in this moment, that that conviction would move us to confess that sin to you, and that as we confess and repent of that sin, we would experience your grace and your mercy flood our heart and our lives, and we would rejoice in the cleansing of that sin. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will realize that we have been called to leave this place and to declare the goodness of God, that our worship of you demands a response. And may we respond to whatever you're calling us to do, just like Isaiah, Lord, here I am, send me. Have your will and your way with us, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.